Hello and welcome to Working Historians, a podcast series where we discuss what historians do with their lives. I am Rob Denning, Associate Dean for Liberal Arts for Southern New Hampshire University's online history programs. We are getting close to the end of this series on the historical research process. So far, we have talked about selecting a topic, developing a research question, finding and analyzing primary and secondary sources, and developing an argument or thesis statement. Now we need to put it all together and write something. In this episode, the historian's dream team, Eric Greisinger, Allison Millward, C.B. Repass, Matt Chandler, and Ryan Tripp, and I, all talk about our own writing processes and the various ways that we deal with that dreaded blank page. So, historians, now that we've completed all of that background work, how do you get started writing? It's incredibly individualized in my experience. Uh, one of the problems that I tend to see with students is they don't necessarily all think the same way. Their minds organize structure material differently. So whereas outlining the traditional way, right, we start from the top and we work all the way through all the subtopics in the paper, that can work wonderfully for somebody. For somebody else, it might be a nightmare. The way that I do it is a little strange. And it works for me, but it might not work for somebody else. So what I do is, first of all, I do like to continue to read throughout the process. Some people like to stop. I, at some point, you do have to kind of freeze, in my view, and work with what you have. And you might continue to get new ideas to the point where you're just researching forever. And it's a form of productive procrastination, potentially, but you're not going to finish the project if you just keep doing more and more research. So at some point, you do have to stop, freeze what you got, and hope for the best. But the way I do something after that is after I'm frozen, I'm st I have everything I need, at least as I think, what I'll start to do is organize the sources in the way that I plan on utilizing them in the paper. And each of those citations in proper Chicago Turabian style, of course, right? Uh, it's good practice. From start to finish, from the introduction all the way through to the conclusion, I have all of the historians and primary sources lined up, and that's how I outline. So instead of having, say, bulleted points, that subtopic A, subtopic B, whatever, I have this, this, his historians, this historian, this historian, this historian, or it could be a political scientist, it could be an economist, whoever, right? I do like to embrace some interdisciplinarity. But the way that I go about it is I structure it. So I have all my quotes, all my paraphrase material. I triple check it. I have it in one document. And then when I have that one document set up, I don't have to return to any of my books. I don't have to return to any of my articles or my primary sources unless I see a problem. And then, of course, I go back. Okay, so again, the key thing here to understand is that I am triple checking, if not more, before I lock that document in. So then I'll have that document open. Then I'll have a clean Word document open. And then I'll start to write using the resources on the other document. So it's pretty obvious, it's a fine way of doing it, but it takes a lot of additional preparation because what's happening there is I'm taking notes on all of these sources. Some of these could be traditional long form notes in the margins of books. Some could be you know, digitally on a PDF, whatever. But then I look through all of those, I read through all of them again. And I'm also starting to think about weaving the arguments together, right? So. The structure, the way, that I, the, the way that I structure something, it takes me a long time to finalize and freeze that document full of notes. But once I'm done, 
I get a sense of, of pressure lifted, a safety valve is open, so to speak. And then I just have a clean Word document, all my citations and notes on one page. Now, it's granted, it, let's say for a 30-page paper, that document full of notes might be 50 pages long, okay? But I never have to worry about anything other than that document. Of course, back that document up multiple times. So the way that you do it is going to be different than the way that I do it. But the other thing that I do suggest to students is bookending. Okay, so a lot of students tell me in the capstone that they don't know what their conclusion is going to be because they haven't gotten there yet. Completely understandable. I got it. I totally do. But if you have a sense of it's actually one of my favorites it's called the sense of an ending. It's actually a really depressing book. But uh, if you have a sense of the ending, you can get there. Right. If there's no ending in sight, you're just going to keep driving down that road in, in, in perpetuity. And the paper is just going to keep getting longer and longer and longer. The finish line is going to get further and further away, farther and farther away. And you're going to get frustrated. So having a sense of how the how the conclusion and the introduction video, but it uh, flips around. That is that's how I like it. I, I really do. I, I, that, that's helpful for me. Um, I also do sometimes go with the, the stream of consciousness thing, just sit down and write and see what comes out. That's usually not so fruitful for me, but I, I have seen in the capstone class for history 460, uh, this does work for some students. So this is more individualized and less standardized than I think we often assume. But I do find that if you can develop two things, a way of annotating, taking notes that is effective and efficient for you, and then making sure that you're accurately taking those notes, recording those notes, you can then have a bit of pressure release on the writing process and you can write, you have everything you need, but work the way that your brain works. A lot of people talk about being visual learners, right? If that's how you work, there are ways to literally draw out the outline. Okay. There's all sorts of diagramming software, like something like Lucidchart even could give you the tools necessary to create a, you know, the storyboard approach. Um, if you've ever watched one of those crime TV shows, they have those clear, uh, what would be like a whiteboard, right? Um, but it's clear, you know, writing on that, that was so cool, right? If that, if that appeals to you and you have an extra little, like, why not? If not, I've, I've done that on chalkboards, you know, but figure out what works for you. Try a number of different methods and, and see if, if it's working. If something's not working, it's a little bonkers for you to go and keep trying to do it that way. So then try a different approach in the future. But again, it has to be what works for your mind, the way that you structure your thinking and the way that you can organize material. I used an outline, but again, I have to preface, there was no internet, but I used an outline for organization. You know, I have, I, I have information on, on this. I, I had survivors' testimonies. I have everything, you know, kind of categorized. Uh, here's the details of the battle itself. Here's, uh, here's my bibliography of, of the Marine Corps wrote about the wrote about the battle 10 years later. Then you have this 20 years later. Yeah, organize your material for the different ideas. And then you're sitting there and you're looking and you go, what do I have that I can put together? It's kind of like the ingredients of a soup. Here are all my ingredients. What's going to taste good? Well, this makes no sense with anything else. You know, um, so I think the first thing I would do is figure out what do I have in front of me and, and organize it that way and then as far as writing well it's kind of started at the beginning but it's easy for me because 
that was a, a definite timeline for me. It was 1950 to 1990. So other people, I don't know if there's a beginning and an end. I don't, I don't know their topics, but. Confessions of a researcher. And uh, you know, I think sometimes, and you, you run the danger of, uh, I want to preface this with you, you kind of run the risk of being a little bit too linear. And, uh, but I, often I organize my primary sources uh, chronologically, keeping in mind, particularly with, you know, you know, issues like ethno history, Native American history, there's different ways of, um, you know, conceptualizing time and causation. I, this is confessions of a researcher. I often um, place my primary sources in order. I go back and rearrange it by theme or by you know, analytical category, but I often place them in chronological order. And um, in, in that, and then kind of go through each primary source, and um, don't uh, write some sort of. It's not just a summary, but um, you know, certain things that I think may be important may not be important, and I go source by source. Now, the, the kind of there's issues with that though, because uh, you know you can um, you can be doing sources that you're not going to use. It's going to be really tedious, but I think um, that actually helped me with my dissertation determining uh, particularly causation, and then we were talking about issues that aren't relevant. Um, it, it really allowed me to see that, um, you know, I mean, coming up with a new thesis, um, certain documents or, you know, material cultures um, or, um, you know, anything, the built environment that certain uh, historians in the past thought weren't important. It's not, it, isn't, it isn't just, you know, the secondary sources and the interpretations, but also, um, the evidence that you that everybody you should assume too that evidence that you don't think is important other uh, historians may not have think think is important and I think with me um, organizing it doesn't have to be I guess chronologically it could be any any way and then going through the primary sources that way um, that's that's how I've approached it and it's worked for me although there are drawbacks. Confessions of a researcher here. Sometimes I'm just a mess and and. <laughs> And, and I, I freely admit that. And, and I, I guess I guess that's a start to kind of giving students out there a couple a couple of, I guess, notes of encouragement. Number one, it's OK to feel that way. Right. I mean, all writing is good writing, even if you do not use it, you know, just start writing because it's kind of like, you know, the first maybe 10 or 15 minutes, I'll, I will just write. And then, um, you always find your way, right? You always, it's always kind of a launching pad to something. And then yes, maybe the first couple of minutes of free writing, you'll end up erasing and then actually even put away in a folder. And maybe that becomes an article or, or something down the road. Um, but I think you know, there, there's this idea that like you have to fill a blank page and it has to be perfect the first time around. And I just want to tell people out there, you know, anyone listening, all writing's good writing. I mean, it will get refined. The stuff that stays will be refined. Trust me, you will get a lot of feedback from your supervisors. <laughs> Do not worry. Right. And the stuff that goes might be helpful later. Um, and, and, you know, maybe it'll be helpful in different ways than, than your thesis. Maybe, you know, you'll use it for creative writing or whatever, but, but it, it can be used later. Um, and for me, it really depends on where I am in the writing process. Like if I am writing a historiography, I tend to be very structured just because I think that that's the nature of the beast where it's like, all right, well, 
I will organize kind of this book list because I think you just do start from the beginning. Um, but then there's chapters where, you know, I, I just want to dive right in and, you know, talk about the primary sources that are in front of me and that I've cataloged and everything. And I'll do the introduction later um, or I'll, I'll introduce and conclude later. I just kind of want to get to the bulk of it. And that's okay too, um, you know, just for kind of people listening in. I don't want them to feel like, you know, maybe, uh, you know, I did something very structured for chapter one, but chapter two, I'm, I'm just everywhere. It's all right to have a different process depending on, on what you're writing. Um, so yeah, that's my, I guess, non-helpful, helpful way of saying, yeah, if you, if you have a mind like me, you're probably going to be scattered for a while, but you'll always find your way. You'll always find like a process and it differs, but if it works for you and if it helps you write eventually a clear, coherent history, then, then go for it. I think I kind of use a, an idea from cinema that if we think of the old movie Little Big Man and Jack Crabb is talking as a hundred year old man about the conclusion of the events. And a lot of what I work with is there's a conclusive um, end to the story. There was victory in whatever capacity or the battle concluded. So that's the end going backwards. How do I prove that we got to that point? What was unique about that? And what I work with principally is engineering operations. So how did engineers get to the point of victory or the end of the battle? And I fully agree, Allison, that, you know, you're going to take a lot out, keep it. Um, you may use it another time and, you know, allow yourself to fail in a day. Um, you know, you Hemingway said three more than three pages a day is not effective. This is a guy that wins a Nobel in literature, so I'm going to follow that you know, prescription. But you may also go back to it and say, that was not a good writing day. However, there is one sentence in there or one source that I took out because of that chunk that I can repurpose later. So I think revision, starting the day of writing, reading what you read the day before, even if you took it out, may spark you to the next jump. Yes, it is. Uh, this is probably one of the most personal aspects of the entire process is how you write the thing, doing the research, those, if, you know, developing a research question, all of that stuff is, is we all do that kind of the same way, but the actual writing process is a very individualized style. Um, for, for me, um, just, you know, a couple examples, my doctoral dissertation advisor, her strategy, as she told me to a writing a book was she would start with the introduction, page one, and go straight through all the way till the very end, and just do it from start to start, to, you know, start to finish. My, I can't do that. <laughs> that's not the way I. That's not the way I function. What I tend to do, I create an outline of all the various main points that I'm gonna that I'm gonna touch on. Break it down by, you know, again, let's look at like a book or a dissertation. So I break it down by chapters, chapter one on this, chapter two on this, chapter three, four, five, whatever. And then my particular style is to start with the chapter that I feel like I know the best. And so that's the, just to get things started because I want to I want to make some fast progress so I get away from that blank screen problem. 
So it, whether it's chapter one or chapter five or chapter seven or whatever it is, that's the one I'm going to start on. And then I'm going to work forward and backward from there. I tend to leave the introduction and the conclusion for last. I'll have a general sense of the argument, like we've already talked about. We've kind of developed an argument by this point. So I'll have a general argument in mind. So I'll kind of know where I'm going at the end of the project, but I'm not actually going to write the introduction and conclusion until very last. And that's just a personal decision on my part. I know some people who they write the introduction and the conclusion first and then go back and fill in all the, fill in all the gaps in the middle. Uh, so it's to, it is totally personal. It's whatever works best for you, whatever makes the most sense. My writing style, um, and I, you kind of mentioned it, where sometimes you'll do like some, uh, you mentioned doing kind of like a stream of consciousness type thing just to, just to see what you can get down. Personally, I can't do that. My, my, my writing style is that I can't move on until I get this sentence perfect. And it drives me insane because I know I've got so much more to do <laughs> and I, and I, and I know that I've got, you know, I just had a thought for the, for a sentence, four sentences down the line. And I really need to write that down, but I just can't get my mind to it because I'm still stuck on this earlier sentence and it drives me insane, but it's the way I write. And, 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 and some people just write that way and other people can just, you know, vomit out everything onto the page without, you know, without proper grammar, without proper sight, you know, punctuation or whatever, they can just get all their ideas out there and then just go back and revise and make it all pretty. I can't do that. I have to get it right the first time. And then, um, and the, you know, the, I guess the good part of all that is that once I'm done, there's fairly little revising to have to go back and do. <laughs> but at the same time, I, I know that I've lost a whole bunch of good ideas along the way because I just couldn't get to it because I was stuck. So it's, a, again, like you said, it's, it's very much a personal style that you have to figure out on your own uh, to figure out what works best for you and what doesn't work for you. You know, often you can write like an essay and that essay can be a chapter in your uh, dissertation. And I think it's really a, a great exercise, you know, studying what came before, what came after. And, you know, I mean, I, I think, you know, you could research and then you get to that to that essay that you wrote and you realize how much you knew or didn't know um, once you get to that essay and how, you know, it's like, oh, this is where that fits in, you know, all everything else that I've, I've written on this subject. So, um, you know, writing an initial essay um, and focusing on something that you know a lot about, but then going back and kind of not just contextualizing it, but, uh, you know, figuring out, you know, not just causation, but what came before, um, you, it gets you to back to, the, to that point where you say, like, oh, I care, I'm at my essay now. Oh my gosh, this is, you know, I didn't, and I'm talking about like the long durée and structure and all that, but, uh, you know, there's contingencies and all these other things that I didn't know about beforehand. And now I understand where this, this fits, at least where I want it to fit or where the research takes me. Ryan, you just um, sparked a thought. Something I noticed in graduate school that the, the students who knew that they're in the master's, they're going into the doctor, they'll probably end up in the doctor's program. When they picked a, an idea early on in, their, in the program, uh, where they thought they would want to see themselves working on something in the doctor's, not having a thesis, not having an argument or anything like that, but they had their topic picked so that so many projects, individual course projects, could be done for that 
final uh, dissertation, they were so far ahead of the game than me. You know, I went, man, that was smart. Look at all this, this groundwork you already have. And then being able to take, you already have all this done, and then being able to coalesce it into a dissertation. So that's, I think maybe that's a, um, a piece of advice I would give grad students. If you have anything you think you might be interested in for your for for a dissertation, even for a master's thesis, mm -hmm. try to start working on it in the very beginning. Be sure, no matter what your writing style is, that you're indicating very clearly to yourself what you're citing, what page, everything. Make sure that you have that ready at the time. You, the last thing you want to do is when you're done with a big project to go start to look up quotes in, in your notes and in books. So you have no idea where it is. Don't do that to yourself. That's firm. I would say that to everybody. I actually, speaking of maybe losing some some train of train of thought, I force myself. I, I like doing it. I actually put in the notes. Now, what I do because I might be moving things around is I'll put in the full citation as a full formatted footnote for every citation. And then, of course, I'll go back and do short notes. Remember, no more ibidem. Remember, everybody, we move beyond that. Um, so I, I like doing that. I, make, I like making sure that I'm showing my work, so to speak, making sure that I have all the citations accurately. I'm not going to become David Abraham or somebody like that. I'm not going to get in trouble because I put something on a note card and then I forgot what order the note cards were in. No, that's not happening. So I do like, so even if you don't want to write out the whole footnote because you don't want to break your, your, your flow, what you should at least do is, even though you're not going to end up with a parenthetical, at least put a parenthetical with the author, with the date, with the page number, so you know exactly what source that was. You do not want to mess around at all with any concerns about academic integrity. It's not worth it. And a little bit of extra time is, in my word, in my view, incredibly worth it. Absolutely worth it. Yeah. And uh, side note, in my MA thesis, um, there was a quote that I wanted to use in my title. Um, you know, back in, you know, back in the day that everybody was using the format for titles where it was like, quote, parentheses, race, class, gender in 20th century Brazil or whatever. <laughs> so I had, I had that type of thing set up and I had, I had a really nifty quote. I lost the site for that, for that title. So I couldn't use it because I could, I just could not find where it was. It was in a newspaper article from 1867 and I, I lost the paper that it was on. And so I couldn't use it anymore. I was so mad. But again, it was, it was because I got sloppy. I just didn't write. I just didn't make the note as I was typing it because I typed it transcribed it directly off the paper, but I didn't do the footnote at that moment. Ugh. And thank you all for joining us today. I hope the last few episodes have been useful for developing and writing history research projects. If you continue to have questions about the research process, feel free to contact us at workinghistorians at gmail.com or seek out a nearby historian of your own who can talk about their own experiences. This episode appears on the Working Historians podcast feed, and you can subscribe to that feed on any podcast app, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, Amazon Music, Pandora, or wherever else you prefer. That way you won't miss any episodes, and you'll continue to hear about all the other cool stuff that historians do with their lives. As always, this podcast does not represent the views of Southern New Hampshire University. For Eric Grasinger, Allison Millward, CB Repass, Matt Chandler, and Ryan Tripp, I'm Rob Benning. Go start writing. The blank page is waiting for you.